This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 31. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hello, hello, and if you're listening to this at the end of March or early April 2015, I think pretty much wherever you are, it is the tax season. So good luck for all you poor folks who are still not done with that. I hope it doesn't tamper with your sense of self-worth too much. Me personally, I am pretty happy that I don't own a lot of things whenever I fill out my taxes because it takes me something like 15 minutes as opposed to 15 hours. All right, so today the topic is not feeling good enough and that is a feeling that is very widespread and the idea of how to get more self-worth is something that a lot of people are concerned with. And in terms of uh, Google search words, keywords, self-confidence and self-esteem are some of the most searched for concepts in psychology as a whole. And some concepts, both from mainstream, usual, regular psychology, so to speak, but also positive psychology, can help us to think about self-worth in a different light. Now, before we start up, w- start off with that, um, I like to put it in some context. And the thing is that it's very tempting to see a lack or a low sense of self-esteem as an isolated problem that you just have, and that's something that you have to deal with, a personal problem, so to speak. However, when we look at messages all around us. Each and every one of us is exposed to thousands of messages every single day, lots of them from businesses which would go bankrupt if people actually all had a high sense of self-worth. Think about it. Um, And I'm going to make an extensive list here because I want you to see that it's really not just something small. It really is a topic that is addressed from many, many, many different angles. Now think about it. Um, Who would all go bankrupt or lose significant amounts of business? Now, the first that comes to mind is obviously beauty products and people who provide plastic surgery, the fashion industry, gossip magazines, pharmaceutical industry, diet food producers, those operating malls. Um, movie stars, athletes, and of course social media would also kind of shrink if everybody felt good about themselves already and didn't have the need to fill some kind of void with products, which most of us know deep downside won't do that much to change our sense of self-worth. And I'd like you to think about which of these kind of messages make you feel bad about yourself. I talked about beauty, the beauty industry, the fashion industry, the magazine industry, pharmaceuticals, the food industry, um, shopping malls as a whole, like stars and and so-called role models that we see and also what we're exposed to social media. Which of these um, are likely to make you feel 
that you are worth less than you actually are. And we will later talk about defense mechanisms, so it will make sense that you make a little mental note of those things which are troubling you personally, so you can look at it later as how to approach them in a constructive way. Anyway, positive psychology was introduced as an alternative to a deficit-focused culture within psychology. So psychology itself has focused on what is wrong with people for the better part of the 1950s until the, the early 2000s. And this shift, this idea that, you know what, we, need, we don't need to, to not think about what's bad, but we need to actually supplement it with what's good. This shift that has been and that has happened in positive psychology is also very relevant to the rest of our society because if we look at it it's not just psychologists who look at deficits and problem solving it's actually how most of society is run. So we want to make sure that we think about the sense of self-worth of an individual within the context of the society that person grows up in and most listeners of this podcast are in the states or in some english-speaking country although i'm happy to report that we have listeners from about 92 countries so far so i don't want to generalize if this is not your society if your society is not one that messes with your self-worth please let me know where you live i would like to learn more about that now today we will discuss what self-esteem is what self-efficacy is defense mechanisms and briefly touch on topics such as acceptance self-compassionate inner dialogue and strengths now it is important to note that lots of other concepts such as meaning living according to our values or resilience to just name a few could have and could enhance our sense of self-worth however I can't really talk to you for five hours so I'll limit it to the ones I just mentioned now self-esteem arises when the gap between who we are and who we want to be is very small now self-esteem is made up of different subcategories and depending on what kind of research you read there are slightly different categories but they include topics such as competence, lovability, likability, personal power, self-control, moral self-approval, body appearance, body functioning, and working defense mechanism. This means that your overall sense of self-esteem is a fuzzy mix of all these factors. Now, how does self-esteem develop? It's, to a large part, um, there are different influences. So one part is certainly the parenting that you experienced. If you grew up um, and your parents or whoever took care of you was, you know, concerned with making you feel good about yourself, chances are that that's how you feel today. If that's not the case, um, chances are you might struggle a little bit with having with finding a high sense of self-esteem. This is, however, not the only factor. It has also been found that social status is really important. So even if your parents have been very, very loving, it is possible that if you grew up in a, in a, let's say, in a poor neighborhood, it is also 
likely that you might have some issues with uh, self-esteem, although it's by no means predictive. That's something that's very important. Um, when psychologists talk about things that are predictive, they're talking about the, lar the population at large. It doesn't say anything about you as an individual. You might have had the world's worst parents and lived, you know, grew up in the, in the biggest ghetto ever, but for some reason, you still manage to have a high self sense of self-esteem. Now, that's, I want you to just keep that in mind. Another important factor of how self-esteem develops is that it's about individual thinking processes. And that means that someone who tends to have a high sense of self-esteem um, processes information, new information about themselves in a way that makes them look good. And vice versa, if you have a low sense of self-esteem, you have the tendency to look at new information in a, through a light that and through a lens that makes you look bad. And there are lots of um, benefits that have been documented um, in having a high sense of self-esteem. I'll just name three of them. People are generally happier, they're more likely to take initiative, and they manage stress well. So what can you do if you want to get more self-esteem? So we can look back at the categories which make up self-esteem and use them as clues as to how we could go about doing this. Now, I understand that this is not very comprehensive. It's not like I'm not giving a detailed explanation of each and every category and how you could go about improving your sense of self-esteem in that category. However, for you, I would just like you to think about the things that might come easiest to you. You know, if you, for example, struggled for your entire life with your body image, maybe just, you know, put that aside and look at the other aspects of self-esteem so you can you can work on your self-esteem from a different angle, so to speak. So you can either increase your competence in particular things that are in important to you, or if you're already actually very competent, maybe you have to work on your beliefs about your competence. And we will go deeper into this in the next se section, that is into competence and all of that. Now, you can also learn more about what makes you lovable and likable. You could strive to increase your sense of personal power by looking at problems as something that can be solved, or at least influenced by you, as opposed to something that's just happening and you have no control whatsoever. You can increase your self-control. You can also explore your values. Only if you know your morals can you live by them and hence give yourself moral self-approval. And if body appearance is important, there are ways to improve that that you have overlooked in the past. You know, maybe you are very, very concerned with your weight, but maybe there's something you can do from a fashion point of view that you haven't really thought about, or maybe your skin is wonderful and you can really um, accentuate that by choosing a different makeup or, you know, I'm no expert at these things. I have no clue, so I'm not going to really ramble on about them. But that's the idea of not always focusing on what we're struggling with the most, but also thinking about what did we maybe not take into concern. And you might have also... Um, you can also become more conscious in terms of your body. If you have issues with your appearance, maybe you are underestimating your body's function. 
What I mean by that is um, the pleasure that we derive from our self-image and our bodily self-image does not necessarily have to come from what we look like when we go on a photo shoot. It can also come from the sense of achievement we get when we know like, you know what, I'm the person who can run five miles and you know most people just cannot so or i am strong i can do like you know i don't know like uh, 50 sit-ups in one go and other people can't and what i like about this idea of you know appreciating your body's functions is that that's something that you can actually change very quickly now, let's say if you decide to, I don't know, want to feel stronger or better about your body, you can basically start with just doing like three push-ups a day and then just add one more, you know, and do that two or three times a day or even just three or four times a week, actually. And you will see that within like, you know, four weeks, you can double or triple, quadruple the amount of push-ups you can make. So that's something that's actually very quick as opposed to maybe, you know, dealing with your sense of of inadequacy when you're looking at pictures of yourselves, b- because that's something that has been, you know, that might have been there for a long time and might take a little bit more time to address. Now, while self-esteem is more concerned with our overall attitude and experiences, self-efficacy, our next topic, is really about particular domains in life. Self-efficacy is about our beliefs and expectations to perform well in relation to a particular goal or domain. So while someone with a high self-esteem says, I am a confident person, someone with a high sense of self-efficacy will say something like, I'm competent at traveling the world by myself or cooking a kick-ass meal. Now this is really important because If we believe we can do something, we are much more likely to actually try it than if we think we will fail. And this may sound like a simple thing, but think about all the stuff that you might never try in your life simply because you believe you can't. Now, how can we change that belief? Well, self-efficacy is constructed um, through four different elements. The first is called mastery experiences. Then there is vicarious experiences. There is social persuasion, which means that someone is convincing us that we can do or cannot do something, and physical and emotional states. So that means that the better you feel at the moment, the more likely you believe you can do something. Now, if you want to increase your sense of self-efficacy, it makes sense to to engage in lots of mastery experiences. Now, what do we mean by that? That is, well, one thing is skills training, right? So if you believe, I don't know, let's say I believe I cannot dance ballet. That's not something delusional. It's absolutely true. I never learned the basics of ballet. Um, I don't have the desire to, to be honest, but if I did, the first thing I would have to do was basically try to take, you know, take ballet classes to learn the basics, because without the experience of going through that journey from being someone who has no idea what they're doing, a complete newbie, to someone who's still a newbie compared to 
the experts, you know, the ballet dancer pros, but still not a newbie compared to everybody else who has no clue like me. So by going through that experience, we can give ourselves the feeling of more self-confidence in our abilities, but only if we actually go about these things. Now, another way to do that is to live through others vicariously. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are very selective about the people we choose to engage with about a particular topic. Because if you talk to someone who's like, oh, this cannot be done, it's not possible, I've tried it and it just doesn't work, then chances are you will also think the same thing. However, if you engage with people who successfully mastered the experiences that you are interested in, chances are that you will believe that you can do it too. Now, that also means that you try to engage with people who might be able to persuade you that you can do whatever you want to do. And you also want to become more proficient in, you know, trying controlling your thoughts and moods, which means that if you think about being able to do something, being having a sense of self-efficacy about something, it makes sense that you think about that topic when you're in a good mood and you're feeling strong and fit and not when you're, you know, lying on the sofa feeling completely spent like you're, you know, 300 years old. Now, I'd like to go into defense mechanisms. And the reason is that they are usually unconscious. The more conscious mechanisms are called coping mechanisms. However, if we pay attention to our defense mechanisms, we can start using them consciously in an attempt to increase our sense of self-efficacy when it comes to dealing with difficult situations. So that's the domain of being a problem solver or dealing with the hard parts of life. And I think it can really help your sense of self-worth if you can teach yourself a couple of tricks which will make it easier for you to deal with difficult parts of your life. Because if you experience difficult things and you go through them in a good way, that gives you a lot of self-confidence. It gives you the sense of self-efficacy that you are a good problem solver and you can go through difficult, difficult parts of your life and that should help you increase your sense of self-worth. So healthy defense mechanisms um, include the following. Anticipation. This means that you think ahead to situations which challenge your sense of self-worth and you think through positive responses to them. You do this in advance, and while you might not be able to, to come up with the positive response immediately, chances are that at some point you will become aware of, hang on, I thought about this. I didn't want to you know, go down the dark path of self-destructive thinking, so let's get back on track. The second um, helpful coping mechanism or defense mechanism is called affiliation, which is a fancy word for just calling your girlfriend or, or, or your boyfriend or whoever can help you, whoever is supportive if you feel you need to kind of let off some steam with someone who is really nice, right? Altruism is another defense mechanism, and that might sound strange, but actually by focusing on helping others, 
you stop focusing on your own problems. Now, this could be done in a destructive way. So if we never ever deal with our feelings and just try to help others all the time, I'm guessing that that won't work. But if we think about it and we're like, all right, I know that, let's say, the weekends are really hard to deal with a particular issue because then I have more time to myself, why not plan something for that weekend where we can help others that means that we still have some time to maybe think about engage with something difficult however it's not going to be the whole day that we will you know let our mind torture us another defense mechanism that's helpful is humor and by reframing the situation in a funny way you can take the edge off and release some tension and if you're interested in humor and play i highly recommend you listen to episode 11 that was an interview with Therese Joyce and we talked about how play and humor can be really really helpful in terms of dealing with difficult issues. Then there's something called self-assertion and that means that you stand up for yourself by communicating with whoever is causing your anxiety. So that could take different forms. You could you know if somebody, if your neighbor is really, really riling you up, you would go and talk to your neighbor, of course, in a normal kind of way, not in a, in a super angry kind of way, because that would just lead to more anxiety and more anger, probably. But that's self-assertion. Then self-observation is another useful concept, another useful defense mechanism. And that's actually what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I'm trying to to kind of learn myself, but also help you learn about your own responses so that you have more choice of how you respond to certain situations. And if you do that, chances are you will feel more confident and have a higher sense of self-worth. Now, another fancy word, sublimation, is about taking all that negative energy you have and turn it into something positive where you can actually release this energy. Um, something like, you know, playing um, playing f- uh, soccer. That's something that was, you know, I remember the teens were not that easy. And when I got particularly pissed off, I would just go and hammer some of these, you know, soccer balls to the wall. And, and I mean, it's maybe a kind of uh, slightly primitive, but it actually helped because that physical release of energy did just make me tired. And if I could, I would go to sleep immediately afterwards and, you know, chances were I'd wake up more calm than I was before. And we can also take this energy and use it to create art, you know, music, poetry, that kind of thing. And, you know, without people using sublimation, we would not have some of the greatest songs and books and poetry that are beautiful and that are enjoyed today, you know, in some cases hundreds of years after they've been written. Last but not least is good old suppression of thoughts. Now that might not sound very healthy to you, but actually every once in a while it might make sense to suppress certain thoughts because especially the ones which are, you know, they come back, the ruminative kind. You know, if you think the same crap thought over and over again, 
it's not really helpful. It's not getting you anywhere. You're not receiving any new information whatsoever. So you might as well just interrupt it the moment it shows up at your door and just be like, nope, I've thought this thought 50 times before. I don't think thinking it for the 51st time will help me any way whatsoever. But again, if we suppress too much, that might you know, cause us some problems later down the road. Now, most of these concepts that we talk about, they actually came from what we call, call like regular psychology. And I think they're really helpful. So I emphasize them a lot because lots of the positive psychology concepts will actually either already have their own episode in this podcast series, or I will, you know, add them in the near future. So what I do want to talk about just really, really briefly is both acceptance and self-compassion and strengths. Now, both acceptance and self-compassion are big topics which definitely deserve their own episodes and um, I will definitely look into that and they will come in the future, although I'm not entirely sure when I'll do them. However, for this purpose, working on our acceptance means that we accept that some things have happened that we can't change and that we can only move forward if we let go of certain unhelpful thought patterns. To take an example, um, earlier in this program I talked about how our parents and our upbringing shape our sense of self-esteem. Now, if your upbringing was less than, you know, was less than perfect and or to be honest nobody's perfect, so let's say if your upbringing was difficult, People can, you know, blame their parents for a long, long time. And while that's perfectly understandable, sometimes that blame mindset can can cause us to stand in our own way. And acceptance is really about trying to let go of these topics, not because we are forgiving the other people, but also mainly to just move forward ourselves. And with acceptance, we also accept that we are a normal human being. Um, that we cannot be perfect and that there is a great freedom in embracing that fact that we cannot be perfect. And a self-compassionate self-dialogue means that you train your inner voice to speak to you just like you would address a beloved friend. Now, you probably never say to a friend something like, oh, um, your date left because you are a boring person. But lots of people say cruel things like that to themselves and then they wonder why they have a low sense of self-worth. But self-compassion is something that we'll definitely cover. I hope we can actually do an interview about that. Not sure when I can get that guest on the show, but we'll see. And another topic, um, one of the backbone concepts of positive psychology and one of my personal favorites is the topic of strengths. Now think about it. In the intro, I talked about how our society is really, really hung up on, you know, looking at what's wrong in everybody and everything. So if you instead adopt a strengths lens, we can move beyond being confronted with our weaknesses all the time, which obviously impact our sense of self-worth, and instead try to engage more and more from a position of strength, which means that we that we identify more and more 
um, situations in which we can use our strengths. And if we use our strengths, we are energized, we feel good about ourselves. And if we do this constantly, it will impact our sense of self-worth. Now, if you're interested in how to, you know, improve your sense of self-worth through um, exploring some related positive psychology concepts, I can particularly recommend episode 9 on optimism and episode 13, which explores the question of how you can change your own happiness level by changing your thinking. Now, this was a lot to process, so I hope you find at least one or two things that can help you get a better sense of self-worth and to understand the futility of this whole idea of am I good enough? Because if we're honest, there is no objective measure of this whatsoever. So we can actually drive ourselves crazy for our entire life thinking about whether we're good enough simply because there is no way of establishing that. So why not stop now? Have a good week. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthsphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt. <laughs>